Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. This week marked a significant milestone for my newest software business, my building efforts there with Podline FM, as I onboarded my first users. And with me building the SaaS in public, I think I'll just share weekly updates from behind the scenes that are both interesting and instructive. So let's start with me realizing as I was browsing the production database that someone else was already actively using the tool and had voice messages coming in from their own listeners. And that was pretty awesome to see. And though the product is still in its early stages, seeing this kind of active engagement like this is incredibly fulfilling. Essentially, I soft launched a product last week. There are no paying customers yet because it's not feature complete and lacks robust onboarding and customer support, but that's not too far on my day-to-day -day roadmap. That'll happen within the next couple of weeks. But I have users and they are using the product that is a good start. It's encouraging to see the product perform its main functions really pretty effectively for users other than myself, because I've built it, I know how to use it, but apparently they do too, and that's a good sign. My marketing efforts this week focused primarily on refining the landing page and actively responding to prospective customer feedback, most of which actually came in as voice messages, which is really nice, using the product yeah, to build a better product, kind of dog feeding the whole thing. I've been promoting this product on Twitter just through building it in public and initiating potential partnerships through back channels. That's also something I've been doing. Specifically, I'm reaching out to podcast hosting and aggregating and community building platforms to integrate Podline FM at some point. This outreach is part of a very slow and strategic approach to building partnerships in the space. I want Podline to be independent as a tool and well integrated at the same time. That's why I'm putting my feelers out from day one to see where other businesses in the podcasting space might need some listener engagement and how they want to see it integrated in their products, what their requirements are, what their constraints are. I need to know this, and for that I just need to talk to the people running these businesses. These chats will take a while, and they will happen in private because obviously these are kind of business-to-business -business communications. Can't share much about these unless the people in those communication channels want that to be public, which I don't think necessarily will happen. But this will take a while. I bet I'll find a lot of new ways to utilize audio through embedded recording. And that kind of brings me to the development perspective here, where I've made some progress with the widget, the recording widget, where people can just yell into the computer and it arrives uh, on Podline as a message, both used on the landing page and also as an integrated iframe, an embeddable widget that people can put on their website wherever they want to, which is also something I want to be able to integrate into you know, automatically generated landing pages, which is why I'm talking to all these podcast hosting companies and stuff, right? That makes sense. Um, it's becoming more and more adept at handling the diversity of browsers and technologies that users employ, right? Just to access the product or access the internet. Like there are five, six browsers I need to support, right? There's the, the Microsoft situation, there's Chrome, Chromium, then there's Firefox and Safari, and maybe out there there's like some Arc browser or whatever. There's Safari on, on OS X or on Mac OS, there's Safari on iOS, and both of these are weird. So there's a lot to do and a lot of things that can happen, for which I'm, I'm glad I integrated error tracking this week, which has provided valuable data and revealed quite a few issues I had not yet run into because I didn't have the devices, right? If you run Firefox on Android, 
then some things some may or may not work, and I don't have an Android device, so I cannot run this. But some of the more interesting problems were caching issues, actually, with Cloudflare that I used to protect the website and have like a CDN for all my, my assets, where the pace of my development was too fast for their CDN cache timeouts. So I was deploying much faster than their links expiring, which was quite hilarious. It was an interesting problem, deploying new versions too fast. Probably something that won't last for too long, to be honest. But one feature, I really wanted to build got finished this week and I want to talk about this that's conversations initially I just wanted it for feature parity with competitors in the space right you get a voice message you reply to the voice message they get a notification and then they reply and back and forth like a conversation but with traceable and individually downloadable voice messages but after receiving my first kind and motivating messages myself I didn't just want to build it for parity with competitors I wanted to build it for myself and this feature has been one of the most complex things to build so far. It's not just about converting audio data into messages and displaying those anymore. That was the basic podline feature set. It's about connecting these messages with each other to create conversations and allowing people to go back and forth, which is a whole other thing. And although not all future customers might use this feature, it's particularly powerful for podcasters who wish to really engage with their audience. And to do that, I also implemented email notifications that are linked to those conversations that encourage continued engagement with the platform. And that's something that I was inspired by by the hook cycle, the principle that Nir Eyal talks about in his book, Hooked, which I highly recommend reading, where you start with the trigger, that's the message that somebody gets, like an e a notification, that prompts an action, which is clicking a link in this notification in the email to receive a variable reward, which is the unknown contents of the message, the thing you want to know about, that's why you click the link. And that then leads to an investment in the platform as you reply to that message, which triggers the whole cycle again with a notification for another person who then clicks the link, checks it out, replies, you get a notification, you click the link, you check it out, you reply. That's how social media systems effectively hook you to keep coming back. And this is a fun and a mutually beneficial way of getting people to use the platform, in my case, because both people really want to talk to each other, which in turn shows them the value of the tool, and that keeps them retained as customers in the end. A current challenge that I have is handling audio quality in those messages that people send back and forth. The web audio API has things like noise suppression and automatic gain leveling, which are really cool if you're going on, on Zoom or do some in-browser like video chatting and you really want to be as clear as possible for the quality level that you have during this connection. But these may not always be suitable for high quality unaltered audio that some pro podcasters might expect. Because if you want to put it in your podcast, you want it to be as good as possible and you don't want some browser side noise suppression. You can always do this with like really powerful tools that create much better sounding audio in the end, but you don't want the browser that is randomly installed on your listener's computer to take care of this. You want to do it yourself. Or maybe not. I don't know. That's why I need to talk to people. It's a, I'm considering whether to process audio in the back end for quality enhancement that I think is good or that a pro audio technician would think is good or leave it to the discretion of my customers. It's kind of a delicate balance of, of a, just a mindset here between providing a useful feature that some people might use or and, I guess, respecting the desires of the users that I have for unaltered audio, for really high quality, directly raw 
audio that they can do with whatever they want. I'll have to talk to a few users about this. Mostly, I guess, the power users who will be carrying the larger subscriptions that currently is like at $50 a month, the people who want this, they will be the ones deciding if this is a feature they, they see as a valuable addition or actually a detraction. That's, a, that's something that I noticed. It could be that my willingness to make a really, really cool audio system in the back end could backfire and keep people from purchasing the product because they went raw or the other way around. So we'll see. Um, looking ahead for the next week, or next weeks, I guess, I plan to enhance the first steps, the user onboarding, and develop help pages to address common issues and permission setting, how to reply to a message, that kind of stuff. These resources will be created using Statamic, yet another powerful tool in the Laravel ecosystem, easily integrated into the existing code base, for which I'm very excited. And finally, this week also, despite previously <laughs> focusing on server-side AI, as I talked about it on this podcast last week, I'm now considering experimenting with GPT 3.5 or GPT 4 being integrated through API calls from OpenAI using that platform. I think I'll run a test to see if the quality and cost effectiveness of using these tools compares to my server-side solutions, but I will not replace them. I will not replace my server-side Whisper or my server-side Llama AI. They will always be there. Cloud AI will be a tool, an extra feature, never a full dependency. And that gets me to the topic that I want to talk about today, really, after this little update about my building in public. Let's talk about which solutions we build, which platforms we use, fully coded, low-code, no-code, and how AI has been changing my opinion about these technologies over the last year or so. This episode is sponsored by Acquire.com. We'll talk more about that later. Now, let's talk about AI, no-code, low-code, and code. While working on my Podline FM codebase, I've thought a lot about technology choices and the challenges of creating a new product. NoCode has always been a contender for me for these initial prototypes, and I've recommended it to a lot of people in the past. And when I started building Podline, I obviously explored NoCode tools to see if they could help me create what I wanted. My project needed a highly customizable audio input widget to embed on other websites, and then unique ways to transcribe and summarize that audio data into these insights for my customers that I really wanted the outcome of using the product to be. And I had to figure out if no-code tools could make this possible. And I found that popular no-code systems, the ones that I looked into, like Bubble and Webflow, could do most of this job, but not to my exact specifications. For example, I could record audio, but not embed it how I wanted or achieve the high quality and the customizable quality that I needed. My target audience is audio professionals who require top-notch audio recordings. That includes having large files and complex encoding and maybe processing. We'll see about that. That's something no-code platforms don't offer, or if they do, they make it very hard to establish, and they make it expensive to establish. That stuff uses uh, a lot of resources, which means it's usually paywall-gated. You have to pay a lot to be able to use these kind of things, and that's not something I want. I want to keep this cheap. I want to keep it contained and independent, right? And on the server side, things like transcription and summarization, well, those solutions exist, of course, like the OpenAI APIs that I've been talking about too. But these are paid services just as much. And my quote-unquote business plan requires that AI systems should be able to run locally. I want to have control over this. I don't want to depend on that platform because ultimately, Podline is a self-contained system in my mind with all necessary components run internally without extra cost other than running the server, I guess, except for maybe this external public storage on S3, just because I have sizable storage needs with all the audio data that I capture. So what does this mean for no code? Well, 
while no code is really, really cool conceptually and in many, many uh, projects that people use, these tools make it extremely easy for software entrepreneurs, but they don't always meet the specific requirements for certain projects. And the example for Podline is dealing with transcription and summarization. I'm literally running two language models on the web app server that Podline runs on with 16 gigabytes of RAM has two language models running in the background and they do their job. One for transcription, the other for summarization. These are download once and run forever backend systems. And they handle all of this for free. You don't have to pay for it. You download them, you run them, and that's it. No no-code system would let me ever do this. Not for free and probably not at all. And many no-code solutions are to build tools for early adopters and innovators. I know you can also build tools, obviously, for the mass market using these technologies, but most use cases are for prototyping, really. And they, these things can cross the chasm, but I don't see my initial experiments being valuable when built on somebody else's platform with those kind of limitations. I'm, I'm sure that I would have much more trouble crossing that chasm using the no-code tools than I have building tools myself. Because I'd rather be flexible and build my own thing so that I can experiment with the features that I want, and I, but that my customers want, really, not just what's available on a platform that I chose. My customers are audio professionals. Again, they usually aren't early adopters. They have pretty high expectations, and th those expectations are very specific. I need to be able to, to nail these expectations. My goal with this business is to create something that works, looks good, and can cross the chasm once released to its target audience. Right, right now, at the early stage, I'm still experimenting. I'm still running things like that may or may not make it to the final version of the product that hits the market in, in early January. But it it is something that needs to have a certain baseline of functionality and quality that I'm not sure I can create by clobbering together some APIs. Because there is initial complexity to this product, right? It's about treating audio data with respect and fitting whatever the platform ends up doing into an existing workflow done by a professional who has a monetary, a budgetary responsibility in their work. This is not just a, a tool that people may or may not use. Like once this is part of their tool chain, it needs to work and it needs to work well. So I chose to code and I'm glad I did because it feels like I'm not coding alone anymore. That's one thing that I really noticed over the last week. This AI-assisted coding revolution of the last year or so is mind-blowing to me. My software building speed literally has increased tenfold. I mean, I'm now a 10x developer. Everybody is if they use these tools, which is kind of cool, compared to a few years ago when these things didn't exist. The whole idea behind no code is very appealing. It has always been very appealing to me, but for now, coding with AI gives me the same flexibility and control that I would think have gotten from uh, from no code. Right? It, it's all, all the stuff that I need because for a new small software bet like this, speeding up development and the prototyping phase is the goal, the initial goal, the initial step goal. And AI-assisted coding is reaching that potential, often mat matching, maybe even outdoing what no code promises. The example, well, I use Laravel, right? The Laravel framework with its easy-to-integrate services. And Laravel has many plugins and extensions, very similar to no-code tools, if you think about it. I wonder how these things were inspiring each other over the last couple of years. I installed Laravel initially. I installed Jetstream and Spark, these, these tool plugins. And with a few clicks, or I guess terminal commands in my case, um, after just a few clicks of that, I had a fully functional login and billing system. Just like that. And I think I also would have gotten this with a few clicks in a no-code tool, 
but mine is now completely customizable and under my control. The fact that I could do this for, I guess, one of these tools cost me $100, so it's not completely free, but it's a pay-once use however many times. Um, so that that works, right? It is an expense to this, but it's an upfront, not a consistent expense, which is funny to say as a SaaS founder, wanting people to subscribe, and me here looking at things to avoid subscriptions. But, you know, <laughs> um, the fact that I could use AI to code these things for mostly free is bizarre. Like I even have this AI chat assistant in my editor, my in my IDE. I use a PHP Storm by JetBrains, that and that had had until last week or so Google Copilot integrated, and since last week also has JetBrains own AI assistant, which is trained on several of these Copilot-like AI systems. It's really cool. This assistant has saved me so much time by sometimes even suggesting solutions before I knew there was a problem. It's bizarre. AI-assisted coding is like no code, really, because the machine does the coding part. The developer's job is just to judge the quality and the just if it makes sense of the result and how it fits into the existing code base. This technology would have been wonderful to have 10 to 15 years ago when I started coding. I know it would have made my journey different, but it would have been great because it would have saved me years of trial and error in really getting programming languages. I would have just explored it in a different way, because with AI-assisted coding, learning from an experienced AI or being guided through code by an experienced AI makes it so much easier and, more importantly, way less scary to experiment with code to see and understand how it works. Case in point, if you mess up your code, you can ask the AI not just to restore it to its earlier point, but to step-by-step step restore it and explain why it needs to happen that way. Like, you can learn from your mistakes after you made them by having somebody pull you out of the weeds and, and saving you from your own code. It's really, really powerful. And to, developers today just don't need to go through the same challenges as they did like 10 or 20 years ago. They have now these wonderful tools at their disposal, making them more like low coders in some way, right? And this is not meant as an insult. It just shows that understanding every intricacy of code and the systems that you're operating on, that's really no longer necessary for success. It helps, and it will definitely make debugging easier, but ChatGPT and JetBrains' new AI assistant do a pretty good job at that too, sometimes even better than you, because they understand, and this is in air quotes again, the code and the language better than you ever could, at least in most cases. Hey, ultimately, when you want to create a fast prototype, just to see if it works, low-code, no-code, still a good choice, even if it's limited. But using AI-assisted coding, in my opinion, is even better. So as I build Podline in public, I trust them with the help of a strong foundation, the smartly built ecosystem of tools that I'm on, and AI assistance, I'll be doing great. I'll keep coding, and I'll be building this as a code-based project. And in fact, I would love to know what you think about this convergence between AI-assisted coding and building with no-code. Because a few years ago, it felt like things were kind of drifting apart. Coding was here, no-code over there. And now they're kind of coming back together as the ease of use increases on the coding side and the limitations of the product also increase on the no-code side. If you want to share your opinion on this topic or if you have any other questions that you would like me to answer on this show next week, go to podline.fm slash Arvid and record a question. I would love that. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com, whom I intend to 
use in the future to probably sell Podline.fm. So yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled for how long it takes me to get to a point where I actually want to sell this product on Acquire.com. And the situation that I might actually find myself in is an interesting one at that point, right? Because people sell for all different kinds of reasons. I recently had... Um, Kevin McArdle on my podcast, and he was talking a lot about why people sell businesses to acquirers like a private equity company, like the one he used to work for, the new company that he has formed to acquire businesses and keep running. So why people sell, everybody has their reason. And many people have different reasons. One of them could be, you just don't know what to do anymore. You reached a certain ceiling, right? You built a good business, you have MRR, you make money, it's profitable, but you just don't know where to go. You don't know um, what it is. Do you like skills? Do you just like the time? Do you like the, the, the willingness to keep going? Do you have something else you want to do? All of these are good reasons, but most of the time people just keep wondering and don't do anything about it. And then over time, the business slowly loses value until at its worst, it's completely worthless because they just stop caring and they stop putting effort into it. Before this happens, you have a choice and the choice is to sell the business to somebody who wants to keep going. And that is what Acquire.com offers. Sell your business on Acquire.com because capitalizing on the value of your time, your founder time today, is a smart move. That is valuable. That your business is valuable. You could give it to somebody else and reclaim your time, do something new. Acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. So go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you and your business at this point in time. It never hurts to check it out. Thank you so much. For listening to the Bootser Founder today, you can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you'll find my books and my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me on this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast, this podcast, in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any five-star rating and any message about what you like about the show and what topics you would want me to talk about is really, really appreciated because if you show up and give a rating and a review for this podcast, then the podcast will show up in other people's feeds. And that's where people should be seeing it. Any of this will help the show. It's all optional, but I would appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.